Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock, and the month of August is very artistic to me and to all my guests, where we are reminding ourselves how important art is in any of its forms to our quality of life and the way we view the world. And my guest today, I am so excited. I know I say that all the time. I'm so excited, but every guest I'm excited about, but this one, I have a secret reason for being so excited about it. And uh, I think you're going to be really impressed with him. So my guest today is Dimitri Badiarov, and he's a professional designer of high-end concert-grade violins. Now, I mean, he doesn't just make them. He's also a musician, a mentor, and an entrepreneur. He's fiercely passionate about what he does. And he currently sells his very beautiful, absolutely intricate crafted instruments to world-class violinists. But here's the thing. This didn't just happen overnight. He didn't just wake up and be able to do this. He had a lot of years of what he calls toil and turmoil, where he studied ancient secrets of acoustics. And like he said in one of his videos, it's not like there was a manual left behind. So it should be easy, but it's not always. He had several more years of attempting to sell his wares in a competitive industry where factory-made instruments are now flooding the market. Can't have any doubt about that. This is mass commercial opportunity. But his um, appreciation for this art is quite unique. And I think he will make you see the difference in it. He's now known within the classical music world as the ambassador to ancient traditions and credits his successes to the business skills, which helped him get his name out there. Now, here's the thing. Not only are we going to talk about his passion for creating these exceptional instruments that not only create art, but they are a work of art, but he's also He's uh, kind of calling in today from something that makes me feel like this is art at its best, and he's on his boat. So <laughs> this is my first ever <laughs> guest calling in from a boat. Dimitri, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. I'm really grateful for the opportunity you're giving to share this message with your or. Uh, listeners, your audiences, and of course, sharing this message with my audiences. I'm really excited about uh, talking to you about all this journey that has taken to me to become who am I today and how, uh, especially the things that didn't work in my career and my life to become what I am today. And uh, the whole journey, all of these uh, low moments, the tricks and the solutions that I have found and uh, what I'm working currently on and how I'm helping musicians and instrument makers to become more successful in music industry and why I think that art and culture and music and musicians is so increasingly important, more important, especially today. Wonderful opportunity to talk to you, Michael. Thank you so much. 
Well, thank you. And I agree with everything you said, because it is critically important. And you also highlighted the importance of the business. And that's, yes. a, you know, a great call. Most of my followers are entrepreneurs, or they're, you know, part part time entrepreneurs, or they're in business and thinking about being an entrepreneur. But they're all committed to, you know, the elements of business that make you successful, no matter what you're in. And it's going to be a great conversation. But here's my little secret that I, I didn't tell you and why I was so excited when I saw you as a guest. I actually played the violin for six years <laughs> as a child. And it's one of those things that I both look back on fondly, but I'm a little ashamed of myself because I did it because my parents said, you better pick an instrument. And I wanted to pick some, I don't know what I wanted to pick, but they said, no, you're going to pick the violin. And I pouted and I wasn't, I didn't think that was cool because you weren't in the band, you know, you were in orchestra. Um, but I enjoyed it. I had a beautiful violin. I can't tell you what kind it was. I don't remember, but it was gorgeous. I actually probably had the prettiest violin of anybody that was, uh, you know, that played in my mm. school. But now that I look back, you know, because after six years, I said, I'm done. I've spent six years doing it. Then I tried to play the flute. It, that was a disaster. Um, but I look back on that and say, oh, I wish, I wish I would have kept it going. But you know, you can't turn back. But now when I listen to someone play the violin and I see it used in so many ways, not just classical music, but, you know, all kinds of different musical genres, it's really exciting to me that I feel like the violin is having a new day. And when we can really appreciate how they're made, it makes just it's so much more powerful to me. So I can't wait to hear a little bit about your journey. So let's, let's start there. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, that's a long journey, indeed. So I began playing the violin at the age of seven, eight. Actually, I began at the age of eight. And the violin that I played then was very crudely built. It wasn't any, anything like you have just described. The violin, the gorgeous violin that you've played for six years. So that violin that I have had as a child was really uh, very cheaply, very quickly made. It was a factory mass-produced instrument. And imagine mm -hmm. yourself in in a room of my professor. It was nothing spectacular. So it was like a dormitory belonging to the local opera theater. And this is where all the musicians live. This is where my parents live because they were also, you know, my father was a musician of the opera theater. So, and you know, he had that room in the dormitory. So it was a very tiny room, literally, I don't know, 12 meters or 15 square meters, tiny, tiny room. And wow. essentially a square box with a window Inside the box is nothing, just like a bed, a wardrobe, a music stand. But through the window, through the window, picture that most spectacular view over an immense fruit garden, all in blossom, white mm. and pink, and all these colors of white and pink extending away to the horizon. And the horizon is culminating in the chain of the mountains with great Caucasus, these glaciers, gorgeous, absolutely stunning, gorgeous view. Yet inside the room, what you hear is nothing is <laughs> gorgeous. So you imagine uh, someone that is myself at the age of 11, a squeaking, terrible, screeching sounds on the violin. <laughs> and my very handsome professor, absolutely incredible pedagogue. And I'm, I was in love with him back then. And we're still in a very warm and close yeah. relationship. Since then, although she's now living, he's now living in the United States, we're still mm. keeping in touch. Uh, well, imagine a gentleman, I think he was about 30, 
back then with yeah. shiny black curly hair and mustache and, and a short uh, beard. And he was telling Dimitri, no, that's not how you move the ball. No, that's not the pressure on the ball. Look, that's how you express on the violin. That's how you create that beautiful sound. And I try again and again and again. Finally, uh, completely, um, you know, like uh, desperate, I stopped playing. I lower my hands. I put the violin in the case and I look straight into his eyes and I tell Simeon Grigorievich, look at your violin. What a beautiful gorgeous Italian ancient violin that you play and look at my violin it doesn't matter how hard I work I will never sound like you so why don't we fix my violin first oh and he said yeah that actually kind of makes sense and um, so I asked him to introduce me to the violin maker in the town mm -hmm. and that violin maker in the town I guess it was a few days after that lesson that violin maker in the town was a kind of a magician. Imagine an elderly man, 60, 70 years of age, maybe, uh, quite round, or a very, <laughs> very round, round, round daily, a giant nose on his face with a few hairs sticking out from the nose. <laughs> I don't know if other listeners need that detail. <laughs> but, and giant eyeglasses sitting on his nose. The kind of eyeglasses, you don't see these eyeglasses these days where the lenses act almost like magnifying glasses, yeah. magnifying lens for the eyes. So what you, the only thing that you see actually when you look into his face is his giant eyes <laughs> because yes. of the eyeglasses. Yes. I was like hypnotized. I don't know what happened. I lost the gift of speech. I was like a frozen and I looked at him and I don't know what came upon me. I didn't ask him, would you please, uh, Victor Grigorovich, Viktor Grigovich, would you please teach me? Uh, would, I didn't ask him, would you please fix my violin? I asked him, would you please teach me to fix oh. my violin by myself? Oh. I didn't expect me telling that. But then his personality, incredible gentleness, this mysterious smile, and this, he's radiating this kindness and love and musical instruments on the walls of his workshop and all of the musical instruments, very unusual, like with horse heads and they were folkloric instruments, mm -hmm. um, animal heads and uh, with the skins instead of uh, wooden tops, right. very, very exotic. Uh, it was like a magical atmosphere. I've never seen anything like that. And to my surprise, he accepted me. He says, okay, well, why do you want to do that? Uh, I can just fix it for you. And I said, well, look, I'm violinist and I would like to know what, why the violin sounds like it sounds. I completely made it up. I wasn't prepared for this. It just came out for me naturally. And to my surprise, he accepted me. So uh, I started frequenting his workshop. And this gentleman, Vladimir Grigorievich uh, Oiberman, his family name is Oiberman. And not many people would know that name outside uh, Russia or maybe even outside the Southern Republic where I grew up. He is my hero. Mm. Because what happened next, uh, Michael? Imagine. It's quite spectacular because like no one has done anything like it among instrument makers. Here's what happened. When Oiberman settled in the town, well, he looked around himself, there are two orchestras and probably there is enough work to do as a violin maker, but maybe that's not the 
that's not maybe living to my potential. Maybe that's maybe what he thought. I don't know what he thought, but uh, right. it appears to me this is what he thought because he could just fix instruments for other musicians or he could reconstruct completely lost culture oh. of folkloric music in that republic. Because what happened during the 70 years of communist rule, mm -hmm. somehow they happened to lose a lot. You know, like if people don't take care about arts and culture and music and anything like this, like finest things, these things tend to disappear and get yeah. lost completely. And this is exactly what happened. And he noticed that there was an issue and actually people wanted to have their own culture. Now, why? Well, I reckon it was like a pride, national pride. They wanted to have something of their own. All the republics around like Armenia or Georgia that had fantastic musical culture and fantastic musical uh, arts and the dance and all these kind of things. But in that particular place where I grew up, you know, people happened to, lo to lose a lot of things. So Oiberman, literally in front of me during the next five years, in front of my eyes, he reconstructed enough musical instruments, which were completely lost, by the way, like no one knew them more. He traveled the mountains, like, you know, the villages in, in those glaciers, um, speaking about 5,000 meters high mountains, 4,000 meters high uh, mountains. Those villages, he traveled them. He found elderly people who had those instruments, who still remembered how to play, who remembered songs, tunes, and these kind of things. He recorded them all. He measured all of these instruments. And so this is all kind of ethnomusicological research. And as a result of this work, he created enough instruments for two orchestras. Oh. Two orchestras were created as a result. And when these orchestras were for the first time presented on the national TV and radio, and one of the orchestras went to perform at some kind of world fair uh, in Paris, I believe, in around 84 or 85 or something like that, there was a sense of incredible happiness in the air. It was like people oh, were so proud. And I thought, oh my goodness, if an instrument maker can produce that sort of happiness, fulfillment, pride, achievement in people, then I want to be an instrument maker to mm. see what, to see the, the role this man played yes. uh, in my becoming an instrument maker. And yeah, this actually was the beginning, and this is exactly this experience in the beginning of my career. Uh, was wasn't career. I mean, I was like I was still a child, a teenager, essentially. So this is this is what has set me on the path to what I am doing today, like rediscovery of re rediscovering important things, like rediscovering mm -hmm. the acoustical methods of the ancient masters rediscovering right. lost instruments such as violoncello da spalla. So this is one of the things that my violin making studio, Violin Badiaro Valens, is very well known for because I'm creating these instruments for world-class musicians. And I have had the blessing of creating this instrument for really important, amazing musicians such as Sigiswal Kaiken, famous musician, famous Baroque violinist, and the founder of Baroque Orchestra, La Petite Band, that orchestra that existed for 40 years and inspired millions of people around the world. Mm. For uh, Rio Terracado, the pioneer of Baroque violin and violoncello Spal in Japan, also concerted master to uh, two orchestras, one in Japan, one in Europe, La Petite Band, one of those, and professor at uh, one of the most important music universities in Japan. So I created actually three instruments for them. 
and uh, Sergei Malov, a very well-known, absolutely yes. world-class musician, uh, one of the most versatile violinists living today that he plays. He plays all kinds of violins in all kinds of genres, jazz, classical, baroque, he improvises, he composes, Scottish, Irish, you name it. I, he's also a multi-track artist creating, you know, this um, recordings where he plays by himself all of the parts, like uh, octets, like eight parts uh, recorded. And so I made an instrument for him as well, uh, three, uh, two instruments for Sege. Mm -hmm. So this is how uh, what I do gets exposure and people learn more and more. And some violinists want to acquire an instrument of my work. And well, these days also instrument makers went crazy about learning my systems know strategies and uh, mm -hmm. spirituality of success and they want to learn about what i do how we design instruments how do we create instruments that will match the unique artist unique musician unique aspirations because the truth is each person is absolutely unique each person has different goals dreams like sources of inspiration what they want to achieve yes. what they want to be remembered for and i really enjoy that part a lot discussing with musicians and also with instrument makers okay what do you want to achieve and let's right. see what can be done oh, and that's oh amazing it just gives such a sense of uh, happiness and fulfillment doing that as an artist as an entrepreneur sorry yes yeah no your story is fascinating and wonderful it just makes me smile and by the way so does your son who is absolutely adorable who yes, keeps peeking yes. his head over uh, he's he just very, very up. sweet. Yeah, he can he can pop in anytime. Don't worry about it. Um, I think you're just the everything behind what you you talk about is so rich and beautiful. And it's and it's, you know, it's a love story. It's a love story of these people who taught you and inspired you. It's a love story of the music, the history. It's a love story to communities to say, yeah. let, you know, let's take a look at what you might have lost or there's little bits and pieces and let's bring them back because there's richness to history that, um, that means so much, not just to people who knew it when it existed, but people who want to know what the past was. We, I think that we are, are hopefully as a world, you know, understanding that you can move forward. But when you look back, you don't have to live in the past, but you can embrace the past and see how it coordinates with the present and the future as well. A hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor and we will be right yes, back. Of course. Are you tired of the time and expense of going to the salon for a mani-pedi? If so, Color Street is your answer. Base, color, and top coats are blended together in an incredible polished strip that you apply yourself. The result? A brilliant salon-quality manicure in just minutes with no dry time, smudges, or streaks. These strips are 100% real nail polish, not stickers. They're flexible, can be gently stretched for a perfect fit, and last up to 10 days. I've been using them for months now and love the amazing selection of colors and styles, along with the ability to create my own unique manicure by mixing and matching. Shop today and support our sponsor, Betsy Roberts, by ordering at colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 209-5611. Again, that's colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 209 5611 
or simply click the link in our show notes. And we are back. Dimitri, this story, actually, as you wrote it down, I, I wrote a note because I'm always writing notes as we're talking. Two things I want to go back to. And I know you yes. said you were 11 years old, but these are these are really substantial things that, you know, when you were reaching that frustration point with your with your instructor and he's saying, you know, no, let your emotion, you know, not so hard, you know, play with your emotion and you stopped and you put your violin down. There are many people that when they hit those, those tough spots, when they're not as good as they'd like to be, when they face challenges, they can't seem to overcome. Many people would put their bow down and put the violin in and close the case and leave it and walk away. But you said, why don't we fix my violin first instead of just giving up? And it was just, well, I wrote instead of just giving up that, you know, why don't we fix my violin first? Mm. It's such a tribute to, I think, a mindset that entrepreneurs who are successful really have. It's not, if it's not working, let it go. It's if it's not working and it should work, then how do we fix it? And at 11 years old to do that, and I know then the, the other part that I want to highlight and then talk to you about is when you said, I know I don't know why I said it, but when I said to him, please teach me to fix my violin myself instead of please fix it for me. That I think shows not only, you know, the character of you, but it talks about, um, I mean, just really looking at the world through what can I control? And what can I do? And what can my place be in this? And I think for 11 years old, that was really, um, you were quite mature for 11 years old, even though you, you surprised yourself by saying it. Um, how has that kind of um, mindset at 11 transferred through your life? Have you, you know, have you kind of gone back to that at other times when you face challenges and pulled that part of you out again? Wonderful question. Putting that part out of again, it's like, Speaking about uh, almost NLP, you know, it's almost like anchoring in the powerful moments in the past so that you can overcome obstacles in the presence. And this is something that I'm very passionate to speak about. And this is something I'm passionate about to speak to people who feel that they are stuck and they want to achieve more, but there are some things that are holding them back. And definitely this experience from the 11 years of age and several other experiences in the future, I guess, yes, it's kind of those... Uh, a powerful uh, psychological anchors that we create in ourselves, then we definitely can use them and reuse them again. And it is very important to, to keep creating those psychological anchors. I want to share in, on that wavelength. I want to share one story. So in 1992, maybe one, it's not really important exact the date. Uh, you see myself in St. Petersburg. Well, still Soviet Union or almost Soviet Union. It just kind of just collapsed. Mm -hmm. it's not, it was no longer Soviet Union. It was a, a country. Was no one was quite sure what it was. Mm -hmm. And so in St. Petersburg, I was making my first violin because until that moment I was just kind of learning the basics. But in St. Petersburg, again, there was that kind of moment of frustration. You know, I was studying music, violin playing at one of the most elite schools in the country, and it's one of the most elite schools in the world. And all of my peers, they had amazing instruments. There were these Bergonzis and Stradivaris and Balistrieris, all these instruments that cost millions of euros today or dollars. Mm. And I still played quite simple instrument. German factory made. It was not uh, terrible, but it was very, very simple. 
And I thought, well, how do I get an instrument like this? I just didn't know where to get that million euros or something. Right. And I thought, well, okay, well, I have had a very good teacher of violin making in St. Petersburg, and I started making my own instrument, and I didn't have tools, because in Soviet Union, you could not just go to the shop or, you know, order those tools from abroad. It wasn't possible. There was not such a thing as an online payments. Right. And I was making my very first violin using tools that I have made myself from fingernails. Believe it or not, these chisels, this is like the small tools for carving the plates and the scrolls of the violins. All these tools were made from fingernails. And that was quite frustrating, of course. And on top of this, I didn't have even a bench, so there was no table to work upon. So I was building this violin on my lap. Oh. But I had this burning desire not to feel inferior in comparison to my peers. And I wanted to have a, a wonderful violin. I had the burning desire to have that violin. And I was all focused on the process rather than obstacles, like not having tools, not having the bench, etc., etc. Right. At once, a certain moment, the phone suddenly rings. I imagine this very old fashioned phone. Uh, young people wouldn't know what it is. You know, this plastic <laughs> phone, a giant machine with a dial ring and a headset, a big thing that you lift up. Yes. Um, so the phone rings and I pick it up and it is my violin making instructor, Vladimir Yekimenko from St. Petersburg. And I asked this, yes, yes, Vladimir Andreevich, I want those books. Yeah, of course, I don't have any books on violin making. Great. Where can I find it? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely tomorrow. I have only three days. Tomorrow I'm going there. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested. I'm going there. I was like on fire. Oh, goodness. Somebody selling violin making books. The next day, I take a train, local train from St. Petersburg to the countryside. It was September. It was wonderful. Golden autumn, golden trees. And it was just after the rain. It was the smell of mushrooms from the forest and mm. the smell of pines, those very tall pines. They were used to build masts of tall ships. And I arrived, there is a wooden dacha, Russian-style house. Once upon a time, it was probably blue, but now we couldn't say what, was col what color it was. <laughs> it was all made in wood. Uh, only the white windows were still painted, white, white frames around the windows were with ornaments. So I entered into the house, and as you step on the wooden floor, it squeaks because it's so old. And there she is, wow. a, the, the lady, uh, the widow of a violin maker who passed away 30 years ago. And as, as I enter, well, this widow's silver gray hair, also quite round, big uh, babushka, you know, she explodes this in incredible energy I just couldn't expect. And she said, Dimitri, I heard so many good things about you. You know, welcome, very warm welcome. You know, I just started to feel a little bit old and I decided to move to live with my relatives. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, oh goodness, this girl is 92 years and she just started to feel old. And I thought, I wish I am like that when she, when I am 92 years. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. And then she shows me the books. And those were very, very, very hard to come by books on violin making belonging to her husband who died 30 years ago. So I bought all those books and I spent almost all money on those books. They were very, very pricey. And then she said, well, Dimitri, I also have all these violin making tools and, you know, I'm not planning to take them with me to the countryside to live with my relatives because, you know, right. it's, it's just too much, too much luggage. The violin making tools. Yeah, I'm very much interested. Show them to me. 
So she uh, takes out a box after box of 19th century English handmade tools for oh. violin making. I was like, wow, it was like oh. dream coming true. Oh. All these dream tools there and she's selling them and I can buy them. And I asked her, okay, Elisaveta, uh, how much are those tools? And she said, $1,000. And oh. <laughs> now I, uh, uh, people, listeners would not know what happens next, but my <laughs> heart just snapped like $1,000. Oh, yeah. That is absolutely insane. And because yeah. look, to put in this in perspective, 1991, 92, you could buy one flat room in St. Petersburg for $1,000. Why? Because dollars were illegal currency until very shortly before that. It was just Gorbachev time, kind of literally right, right. a few months before dollars were illegal and owning dollars meant you could go to, to, to jail and buying an apartment. It was just the time property was uh, uh, privatized. And nobody wanted to buy those apartments because people still didn't believe that apartments would not be expropriated once again by the state, which is mm -hmm. why such a crazy combination. But still, I felt like $1,000 is more or less an equivalent of $300,000 today, right. because that's what you would pay today for one flat apartment in St. Petersburg. And I felt so frustrated and so miserable and completely destroyed, so sad. I was like, I was so close, all these yeah. tools, but I don't have that kind of money. So I go back home and I tell my ex relatives and friends about, well, it's, if, it's, if it's not for you, it's not for you, but that's not possible. You can buy these kind of things. And I decide that I will find that money no matter what. So the next thing you see me calling I don't know, like 200 people or maybe more friends of friends uh, trying to find who would borrow me a few, you know, uh, right. dollar notes. And I ended up borrowing from maybe 50 people on average, maybe $20. But by the end of that uh, crazy calling day, I had this $1,000. And the next ah. day I traveled to the countryside and she saw me, she was really surprised. And she said, wow, Dimitri, you're here. You found the money. I said, yes, I found it. And imagine me i was very young then and my hands were cold sweaty i was really my hands were shaking because i've never seen that kind of money it i yeah. would like imagine investing three hundred thousand dollars essentially on a <laughs> on a few bags of tools right so, right and i was in fear i was in conflict there was a battle inside my mind it's like one side of my mind was telling, you are done. You are completely crazy guy. Just be realistic. Don't do this. You will never be able to pay that kind of debt. People will come after you. You are irresponsible. You will take all your family to jail. And then there was another side of my mind whispering, come on, universe is trying to give you a helping hand. Yes. Do yes. it. Do it. And I've done it. And I took this back a few bags they were very heavy and i brought them back to st petersburg the next day i came back several times and i brought more bags of those tools and i don't know what happened but probably when you really commit to something that you feel that is your thing to do is you probably kind of unleash some kind of energy kind of top of tap on the powers of the universe or something but i was flooded with work and 
in less than a year, I earned all this money. I paid all my debt and then earned some so that I could later invest into moving to, uh, to Brussels to study with the celebrated maestro to, to, to take my life and my career to the next step. So as a, as a result of this story, I have learned that an entrepreneur, someone who, be, who believes that there is a mission for them and they want to do something, but they are afraid that things might go wrong, to just feel the heart and listen that tiny human voice telling that that is the thing that you can you should be doing that is with the thing where you will achieve something because of course the monkey voice is always there hey come on that's a lot of bananas <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> you know? and this um it's just like the results they are in literally in direct proportion from from the actions we take and the actions are in direct proportions from the um the emotions beliefs that we have and that be, be that begins with the beliefs that with the faith that you actually can achieve what you believe from all your heart you you want to achieve and you can achieve ah it's beautiful i the results are the direct relation to the actions we take and the actions we take are direct relations to our emotions so true yeah and And this uh, said repeated this truth is repeated by so many uh, celebrated experts and coaches and mentors and yeah. it's been an amazing journey to learn how much this is true in my own life yes dimitri why do you think you know so for like i told you in the beginning most of my followers are entrepreneurs side entrepreneurs want to be entrepreneurs um but people that are just really trying to live yeah. according to their their you know passion but yeah. you know your story is not just entrepreneurial it's also at the heart of this this beauty and this love for this one portion of art which is well i mean just one portion of many portions it's the music it's the violin it's the crafting of the violin it's the it's the history of the violin it's the you know the research there's so many aspects but why do you think it's important for us today to recognize and embrace art in our lives um, I believe that there's a direct correlation to how we embrace it and then how successful we are in our professional lives, because I think there's balance there. But, you know, why do you think it's so important for us to recognize and appreciate and stop to take time to appreciate is such whatever a, This is such a beautiful and such a deep uh, question. Hmm. What a deep question. Yes. Look, music is important because... Music is uh, the direct language of emotion. And emotion is what we need to feel in order to take action, which is why you see at um, absolutely all massive entrepreneurial events, the speakers on stage, organizers always promote, provide uh, music that changes the state of the audience because when the audience is in the changed state, only then the audience will take the right action and they need to be inspired they need to be encouraged and music is one of these tools that does this in the most direct way absolutely most direct way because music is there to reinforce the meaning of the words and this is something that even you know, baroque composers discovered in the 15th century and so this is this is why music is important but then 
what is music? What is musical instruments? All these things, or what is art for that matter? All these things are related to what we call culture. Now, what is culture? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary of English Language, culture is kind of a, a sum of um, intellectual achievement of a group of people, you know, or expression of that intellectual achievement for a group of people. Now, if you look into the um, uh, opposite of culture in that same dictionary, yeah? so the opposite of culture is savage, hard, crude. This is something that we do not want to have in our lives. Mm -hmm. And well, the, the words of Nelson, I was almost saying, to say Nelson Mandela, but actually that was not right. It was uh, <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi who said, the, the culture resides in the hearts and in the minds of its people. And this is why it is important to fill up those hearts and minds with something really valuable because the opposite is being mm -hmm. savages. Or, well, maybe it's an exagger exaggeration to say, but that is why I believe that music, arts, culture is so important today, more important than ever. I love it. So good. Oh, my goodness. We could talk forever. Um, Absolutely. I'm just so um, just love every every story, every inspiration. Um, I know we will have all of your contact information on our show notes yeah. and lots of your videos on, on your LinkedIn profile as well. But what's the best way for people to find you if they want to look you up right now? Oh, the best way to find me is on badyarovviolins.com. So there are two Vs, badyarov, then violins.com. I'm also the author of the upcoming book on fine violin making. And... There will be a website, book on violinmaking.com. This is where uh, violinists and instrument makers also interested in the um, acoustical principles and also about becoming successful. This is, will be a very unique book because it's uh, the only book on the subject matter that speaks not just about the art or craft side of the profession, but also about the entrepreneurial side, which is, which is what keeps all this thing going, actually. So that's inf that will, information will be found out on bookonviolinmaking.com. And of course, Wonderful. I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, YouTube, I'm everywhere. And I have my own <laughs> podcast, exactly. <laughs> <Lithium> and Legacy. <laughs> Yay, I love it. I know so many great ways. Well, before we go, Dimitri, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Yes, I do. So uh, to make it very simple, uh, listen to your heart and always decide from the position of power because the things can and will go right. It's just commitment and just action. That is it. And I all the rest it. will just come in to you in the avalanche of ever-increasing abundance. I love it. Dimitri, you are incredibly motivating, absolutely positive, and an absolute joy. Thank you so very much for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Michael. It was absolutely honor and pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.